From the banks of Dewey Lake, it's the Dewey Pod Monster. All right, welcome back. This is the Dewey Pod Monster Podcast. This is your weekly podcast about consumption. And with me this week is the host of the Dewey Pod Monster Podcast. His name is Sean. This week we have a special guest with us. His name is David Weiner, and he's the director of the film's in Search of Darkness, both part one, two, and three. He's also the director of the film In Search of Tomorrow and the upcoming 90s horror documentary. We're going to get right into it. Here's our talk with David Weiner. We noticed that the Into Darkness series, which we both fell in love with over the last uh, two months or so, that you can really track the progress of the film by looking at Corey Taylor's hairstyle throughout the documentary <laughs> and that it kind of evolved from the first film all the way through to the third film. Yeah, that's right. You can, you can check out Corey's tan lines. He's in Las Vegas whenever we speak to him. So uh, you could tell what the weather's like and, uh, you know, check out his tan lines and his ever evolving wardrobe, uh, hat or no hat. And that's how you know uh, where you are. That's the trick. Also, you know, Corey Taylor has been in all three in search of, darkness movies and he's wonderful and he's great sometimes though there's more material from a previous in search of darkness and so there are times where he's covered some films where i want to kind of cover it in part two or part three but it was from the part one interview and so i i take a uh, go to great lengths to try and keep the semblance of if it's part two and it's a new interview, everyone looks the same. But sometimes you just have to uh, uh, use your you know suspension of disbelief as to the time zone just because the content is so good. So bringing that up, did you when you plan these movies out, did you have an idea that you were going to do three or was it you did one? It, it really took off, but you couldn't cover everything you wanted to and you made a second or was it all kind of? the grand scheme at the beginning it's uh i i it's it sounds more genius like if i if i plan this all out as as a trilogy attack and more but the truth of the matter is we we crowdfunded the first in search of darkness with the hopes that we would get to make you know maybe a two-hour documentary and if we got enough backers maybe if we hit our stretch goals we'd get like we do a three-hour documentary uh, so there was never a plan to do more. There was a hope to potentially do more, but we really took these movies one movie at a time. And the, the, the reaction when we, when we put this movie out, A, the backers really loved it. And then B, when it went to shutter, we got a whole new legion of, of appreciators. And it was really, it just, it, it just gave us permission to do more. And, uh, you know, a long story short, when I did In Search of Darkness 1, I'm looking at a decade of, of 80s films from around the globe in uh, arguably in the, you know, in the four digits of how many films there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And so how do you tackle that? You know, how, how do you divide it up? How do you organize it? And we made a distinct decision to organize these films from 1980 to 1989, cover as many films as we can within each year. And then do a larger context chapter in between each year. But you find that, especially with part one, there are so many unknowns. You know, if you go really obscure, really quick, you, you probably are going to uh, alienate a lot of the people other than the really hardcore fans. You know, if you go only the heavy hitters and only the really, really commercial box office films, People are like, well, I've seen that, been there, done that, you know? So the idea is, is, was ultimately, I made a hard decision to cover North American films only for the first one with lots of heavy hitters, but also lots of eclectic choices, but ultimately with the hopes that one day we'd be able to just explore more. And so really we got the, uh, the vote of confidence after we did the first In Search of Darkness. People loved it. And said more, 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 longer, longer, longer. And uh, I was happy to oblige. And without getting into too much of the tech details of it, it's you kind of have to draw the line at uh, about four and a half hours, literally because that's about the capacity of a Blu-ray. Otherwise, it gets uh, you got to get a, a, a you know dual layer disc. It holds more. It's more expensive. There are all these costs that are involved, and that's kind of that sort of set the tone of how we were going to do it. Crowdfunded, nice and long. 
10 years, movies in between. And uh, that formula kind of stuck. And we did that three times in a row into this trilogy where each time we got to get deeper and stranger and, and, and weirder and more fun. You mentioned that it's a big task to tackle. How, how much material did you have? going into editing for at least for the first one like did you would you have had enough to do longer 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 or was it something where you you know you had to cut it down quite a bit to get to what you had or how did that work out when i first put the first movie together i outlined it pretty meticulously in terms of what i really wanted to be in there but there were a lot of variables of well let's see what we're discussing let's see who likes what uh so i sat down with with close to 50 people for the first one Icons of the era, you know, John Carpenter, uh, Heather Langenkamp, Joe Dante, you know, Doug Bradley. And and so directors, writers, special effects masters, actors. Uh, and the idea was we sat I sat down with everybody uh, where we would all talk about their films, but also the films that they loved and respected and just sort of larger context ideas and topics about the era. But what happens is if, if someone is really enjoying themselves and they're being very generous, you get into an hour conversation, a 90-minute conversation, a lot of two-hour conversations. And it's like, oh, here's, you know, towards the end, we're like, okay, here's a list of a lot of the films that came out. Why don't you pick a year, and I'll, I'll list the films that came out, and you can tell me what your favorites are and maybe say a couple words about it. And next thing you know, you're just talking even more. And so the idea was, yeah, I had a very specific idea of what films I wanted to start with and what topics I wanted to discuss. But inevitably, you hit tangents and you go into rabbit holes. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, you love that film and you know a lot about that film. We Now I got to put that in and who knows, maybe find some other people who could sort of chime in and make it a large celebration of that particular film from that particular era. I love that you use the word rabbit hole there because I think the first time I talked about this documentary on our show, we I mentioned it was like this is the biggest rabbit hole that I've jumped into, and I can't. I, at that point, I was only like into like halfway through part two of the hmm. three, and I couldn't. I mean, it's a it, it's a five hour documentary, so I had to you know do things like go to work and be somewhat responsible. But that I can't um, believe that you, you didn't know, you didn't terrible. strap yourself in <laughs> and lock the doors. Okay. I mean, I more or less did every chance that I could, but I I love that this, the way this plays out, I'm sure this was intentional. It feels very much so like the average, you know, horror fanatics foray into the genre that you start with the big stuff, your Halloweens and your Fridays and those types of things. And you just keep going further and further down the rabbit hole and hearing Mm -hmm. people like Carpenter or Savini or Savini will talk about it all the time, but, or guys like that talk about not just their films, but other people's films makes this a really unique and fun documentary to get through. I th- I thanks. You know, I'm glad you recognize that. I, I think for the hardcore horror fans, it's it's uh, especially when you get into part two and part three, it's really about discovering new films or or finding out more about the films that you really didn't quite know about because so many people know so much. But there's the there there is a nostalgia element, but it like I said, the celebration of this era. It's it's very cool. One of my favorite elements is having, you know, Joe Dante talking about, you know, killer clowns from outer space. You know, it's just a movie he loves and admires and recommends, you know, or Motel Hell, you know, for that matter. You know, sure, he could talk about the howling and he could talk about gremlins and we talked about the burbs, you know, but to have him just talk about the stuff that he loves and being the just absolute, absolute film historian that he is. Uh, it's tremendous added value. And just to have a, a, a numerous people that you're used to just using, you're used to hearing them talk about their own projects. But when you hear them talk about stuff that they love, just having John Carpenter say, oh, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was my favorite movie of the 70s. That's fun to hear. And it's fun to think about. It's fun to pursue. But these movies are ultimately made for both newbies and heavy, heavy, hardcore horror fans. And so there, no one will ever be entirely (laughs) happy, you know, because there's always going to be the titles that got away. There's always going to be like, well, you need to spend more time on this film because I love it more. And there's always the, well, I don't care about that film. So let's get on with it, move on to next. But the idea ultimately about this, this whole project, if you really think about it, is putting all of these movies on, on an even playing field where we can show appreciation for the good, the bad, and the ugly, and what people love about it, 
but more than just a, that was awesome. That was awesome. You'll hopefully learn a couple of factoids. And if you could actually talk to the person who was on camera or behind camera or even did craft service, but they were, they were there, you know, I mean, Gail Ann Hurd was a PA on humanoids from the deep, you know? So think about that, you know, it just would be cool to have her talk about only that experience and not, you know, Terminator or aliens or anything like that. It's just so much available out there. And to have these people agree to sit with us and talk about it is just, it's, it's a treat for, for us who make these films at Creator VC and for all the fans who have been so enthusiastic about it. You kind of mentioned it, but one of my favorite things, especially in part three, because my kind of, I don't know, wheelhouse are those direct-to-video or the video store movies that you would find. I love that you have this wall, basically, of all the different movies, all the covers, and you'll zoom by or you'll zoom up to one and you'll see one next to in the periphery of the one you're going to talk about. And you're like, man, I, I hope they talk about that. How how did you pick the movies that you talked about? Was it mostly what the guests that you had were wanted to talk about? Or were there specific movies in some cases where you were like, we have to talk about X? Movies? Well, just a quick aside about the, the wall of posters. That That conceit was something that I wanted to do from the very beginning because I knew that I could not do all of these films, especially in, in part one. So while exciting and or frustrating and or makes you feel like you're walking down the, uh, you know, the aisles of a video store, the idea, at least for me in terms of my intention, was to show everyone that these other movies exist and they're out there and there's so much more. And we're just going to get a cross section of what we can get. But here's more. And you could find it, whether it's on the wall of posters or if you look in the end credits and you look at, you know, all the stuff that we credit and especially all the posters that they're all listed in the credits. I don't know if anyone's given that thought, but uh, a lot of people are like, slow down, slow down. I want to, you know, take notes. So I don't want to miss a film. Well, you can go in the end credits and there's just like a plethora of, of insane movie titles that you can also go year by year based on their U.S. release. But to answer your question there are very we we start out saying we really want to get a certain cross section of films that we want to talk to we want to talk to filmmakers especially in part 2 and part 3 that are more international filmmakers like you know getting to go to Japan and to talk to Shinya Sukamoto and he doesn't even speak very good english you know my my japanese is terrible but being able to include him yet we'll just have subtitles and have him talk about, you know, Tetsuo. That is is just an absolute dream to me. But there are some other films where it's like, you know, if you have someone and they're right in front of you, some films that I might have wanted to cover, I find I don't have room for it because I figure if I have, you know, Caroline Williams, of course, she's going to talk Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. But listen, she was also in Stepfather too, you know, talking about how, you know, she 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 found an untimely demise. You know, that's important. Why not include that, you know? So I think I think the movie kind of takes some maybe obvious left turns. If you see someone there, you're like, oh, I wonder if they're going to talk about the less obscure stuff. You know, like I talked about Joe Dante and the Burbs earlier. You know, the Burbs might not be a more uh, might not be such an obvious choice for In Search of Darkness, but there's most definitely horror elements, and you change the music of that movie, and that's a horror film. You know. So uh, absolutely, it, it's it's about who's there and who's available. But it always starts out with who can we who can we talk to? What kind of films can uh, what diversity of films can we include? And uh, who's going to say yes and sit down and make themselves available? And 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 so many people we ask, and they politely decline, or you know it's crickets. Just because we're in search of darkness, by the time we get to part three, that doesn't mean people are necessarily interested in sitting with us or. They are, but we could just never make the stars align. So, you know, it, uh, lastly, I'll say about it is that we, we also have to just draw a line with how many people are in these movies. Otherwise, there's so many people, there's so many movies, we could go on forever. At a certain point, for budget and for time constraints, you just have to draw the line and say, yes, I want everybody, but we got to just stop with this person and then get to assembling our movie. Did you have any movies that you've uh, discovered for yourself as a result of doing this? Uh, many, 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 many. I, I'm a 70s kid and an 80s teen, and I'm still an 80s teen. I, I haven't gotten any older. 
But I I saw many, many, many horror movies, but I didn't see them all. You know, there were so many. And uh, at a certain point in the 80s also, I kind of got a little cynical where I, you know, when you're in your teens, you're just like, yeah, that that's, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, part eight. Do I really need to see that? Even though I did see it. But, you know, do I really need to see part eight? I've seen them all. It's cynical. It's just a franchise. It's just a cash grab. But you always find yourself coming back to them at a certain point. For me, this was like the ultimate, the best homework anyone could ever have. You know, it was my job to say, oh, I need to either watch this for the first time or, or revisit it. You know, you know, there's some movies like I, I was sitting down with Julie Brown, you know, MTV's Julie Brown for the other. I, I did a film called In Search of Tomorrow, which is about 80s sci-fi. And I sat down with her to talk about uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. And while we're chatting about that stuff, she's like, oh, you're doing another In Search of Darkness. That's cool. Well, you know, I was in one. I, they killed me and I, I got naked, but but I, I don't think anyone remembers. I'm like, you must tell me this and I will include it in In Search of Darkness 3. And the next thing I know, I, I had never seen or heard of Bloody Birthday. And now I, uh, I I had to include that. And I got her perspective of doing her first nude scene and just being in some, you know, uh, arguably forgettable movie, which is actually pretty fun. You know, it's like killer kids. How could you go wrong? We wanted to ask about In Search of Tomorrow because I don't think either of us have had a chance to take a look at that yet. So is that kind of the same concept as In Search of Darkness, but with a sci-fi lens on it? Absolutely. It's kind of, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And uh, so for In Search of Tomorrow, we go 1980, 1989, larger context chapters. We got 70 icons of the era to, to sit down with us. So, you know, everyone from the late, Ivan Reitman to, uh, you know, D. Wallace talking about E.T. to, uh, you know, Lance Guest talking about The Last Starfighter and talking about Jaws for the Revenge. So, you know, we, we are, we're a small operation. So sometimes when you sit down with these folks, you you kind of cross pollinate. You're like, listen, I know you didn't do you did multiple genres. Well, you know, if you if you're game, you know, sit and tell, you know, talk to me about it. And so um, but in search of tomorrow, it's very much the same format. I, I would argue the tone is a little less visceral. It's a little more intellectual, but it's still just a fun celebration of a time and an era. But I, I think it, it, it has a, a larger reflection of the times in terms of the discussion than In Search of Darkness does. In Search of Darkness has plenty in terms of like, you know, how the 80s movies horror genre felt, you know, it, it fit in the zeitgeist of the 80s and how the, the times of the 80s impacted the the horror movies and vice versa. But those movies, they focus a little more on just the filmmaking aspect and the impact of the films themselves. I don't go into the rabbit hole, so to speak, of you know, uh, too much of the sociopolitical elements that were going on in the 80s. I really do focus more on the films. Whereas In Search of Tomorrow, there's a little more of a balance there. You feel like that almost comes along with the genre, though. Yeah, it's uh, the era. It's still the Cold War, you know, growing, like I said, because I grew up in that era. That was an era where we we lived on it. It was war games on a daily basis. You know, we went to play our video games. You know, computers were new and one kid would hack into the wrong place and next thing we know it's thermonuclear war or the threat of it you know uh and and but i i I kind of joke but i don't it's it's very true that we all did live in a world where we thought well if there's a nuclear war between russia and and america you know we'll all just be you know blown to bits and in an instant and we won't feel it not that we want to have it we we were clueless but you know you've got TV shows like the TV movie uh, The Day After, you know, directed by Nicholas Meyer, you know, who, of course, directed Star Trek, Wrath of Khan and so many other films that turned it into a much more realistic situation where we're just like, oh, this is not that's the reality of what's going on. And that's way more scary that we're all going to just be stuck in a nuclear winter, you know, and I'm reading books like you know, on the beach by Neville Shute and, you know, about people in Australia waiting for, you know, a wave of, of, of you know, n- nuclear fallout to get them eventually. And they're living out their last days. This this is obviously, turn, you know, we were talking horror, but now I'm talking real horror. So it's yeah, real horror. horror. Right. But, uh, you know, I really enjoy doing In Search of Tomorrow because uh, so much of that permeated the movies that that were meant to be escapism yet on the same 
other side of the coin, but it's the 80s coin. You know, the 70s was all about sort of post-apocalyptic nightmare fuel, whereas Star Wars and Close Encounters come along and all of a sudden you've got this amazing optimism. And the hero wins rather than the hero dies at the end or finds out that they're on Earth the whole time, you know, and damn you, you dirty apes, you know, that kind of stuff. So there was there was plenty to to just enjoy and, and escape to. And, you know, Mad Max was not as depressing as you would think, because it really felt like so far in the future that we were never going to be, you know, in a world like that. But, you know, now, 40 years later, you know, the jury's out. We're trying to catch up. So <laughs> yeah, you, let's you talk mentioned. about puppies and, and kittens and, you know, fun thing. <laughs> well, just one one last dark kind of thing. Have you seen the movie Threads? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is pretty much the British version of The Day After. Yeah. But yeah, you brought that up. Just, that I immediately thought of that. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I cover not in depth, but uh, I do reference Threads. But we do talk a little bit more about the day after because having Nicholas Meyer just to talk about Star Trek, you know, and time after time, even though that was 1979, it was really interesting to hear his take on making that movie that it was the, it was the most watched TV movie ever on television at the time. And uh, it, it was so influential, it even changed Ronald Reagan's mind about, you know, what the impact of something like this would have uh, rather than, you know, I think, I think he felt like we did, you know, Oh, it's all just a big flash and we're all gone and he'll be in his bunker and it, you know, he'll just watch old cowboy movies, but it changed, it changed his perspective. Does that movie have Jason Robards in it? Yes, it does. Like the, yeah. yeah like the it's, elder. Yeah. And it's got a, a young Steve Guttenberg before he was, you know, right on the cusp of doing, you know, everything from police Academy to cocoon and, short circuit and that kind of stuff yeah i think i remember i remember watching that and i think there was like this probably early pandemic like post-apocalyptic kind of theme going on here at my house well <laughs> I that, that, fell into that that movie I, I saw it like so many when it first was on television and at school the teachers made a day of it you know they're just like all right everyone watch this tonight and we'll talk about it tomorrow and it was it was a it was a really big deal and it's funny, the kind of my takeaway, other than just the doom and gloom and giant explosions while people are stuck on the freeway, you know, and turn into, you know, flash skeletons, was Steve Gutenberg taking, you know, walking, like limping along with, with all these people in uh, a makeshift triage area. And he takes off his hat and he's a young guy and he's bald because he's lost his hair due to radiation poisoning. And uh, that really stuck with me it was just like i think that's what we're really in for you know when it comes down to it yeah but back to the puppies and the kittens <laughs> who are some of the best guest interviews that you had going through the process of making in search of darkness and are you willing to tell us anyone who might have been difficult to work with in the process difficult yeah, you don't have to rag on anyone if you don't want to. So Yeah, no, I won't name names. Um, here's the thing. There's no real tea in terms of difficult people because everyone was already sold on the idea of sitting down with us to talk about their stuff. You know, and some people, they, they're, they're a little bit on autopilot at first. But I think once once people recognize, first of all, they've already chosen to sit down with us. So they're already in an agreeable mood to talk about this stuff, you know, and reflect on it. I think they find once, once they know that I, A, appreciate their career, B, know their career, C, can talk about films that we're not even covering in the movie, but just have some small talk or go down, you know, some tangents about it. They, they recognize that they're sitting with someone who knows and appreciates their stuff. And, and you'll find you get a really good interview out of that. You know, may, maybe borderline the closest person, and, and he was not difficult, but was John Carpenter, you know, because John Carpenter is incredibly self-effacing. I think he comes across very clearly like that in these movies, you know, because, yes, he's the horror master and we all bow down to him. But fundamentally, you know, he'll look at the thing as as a failure and it's like, well, too little, too late that it's a classic now. You know, <laughs> where where were you guys when I needed you? You know, right. 
And that's mm. kind of how he thinks about these things, you know, and he thinks about, well, because of that, I didn't do Firestarter, you know, because I didn't want to do part two of Halloween, I, but I still wanted to control it. I wrote it, but I don't think it was the, my best work. And then when I tried to pivot and turn it into an anthology, no one got it and everyone rebelled. Well, that's interesting stuff. But for him, it still it still stings a little bit. But everyone is just so fun to talk with. It, it's great. I mean, I, I've done this for many years. Prior to In Search of Darkness movies and Tomorrow, I, I worked at I was with, at Entertainment Tonight for 13 years. I, I've, I've written for the Hollywood Reporter and for L.A you know, LA weekly and stuff like that. So what that, what all that says, that's not a brag. That's just my job. So I'm very used to talking to all sorts of really very famous people. But for me, the inner geek is, is screaming at, at how exciting it is. So I compartmentalize and, you know, I sit down and I'm all just, you know, all business and, you know, easygoing. But it, it's usually when they say yes, that I squeak and squeal and get really excited. And then once the job is done and they say, hey, nice convo. I'm like, yeah, that's a nice convo. Let's take a take a photo. OK, sounds great. Well, it's a pleasure. You know, if you need anything else, let me let me know. And I'm like, sure. And then I'm just like, yes, you know, <laughs> that was a great chat. That was a great chat. And we got some great stuff. So it's it's a dream job for me because I get to meet my heroes and I get to find out that 99.9 of my her- percent of my heroes are are just good human beings. And most of them are really very happy to to be appreciated after all these years. I had a question I was curious about in the scenarios where you, you know, obviously you interview a lot of people for this. Was there any scenario where you had, did you do interviews at conventions or did you have to go where they were or was it just one off each, each interview? Uh, yeah, no, we, we don't do conventions. We don't do sort of red carpet or catch them at a junket or at sure. a convention. We might go to a convention and adjacent set up, you know, uh, an interview there. We've done that for other projects. In fact, for Aliens Expanded, which uh, I'm executive producer on that, but Creator PC is doing and Ian Nathan is directing that. We caught Michael Bean in the right place at the right time after trying to track him down, you know, and uh, Ian sat with him right before he was making his convention appearance in the U.K., we are very fortunate to have people say yes, when and where, and they either come to our studio. We have one in, you know, uh, in Los Angeles or we'll go to their house. Or if they're in other parts of the country, uh, I will either go there or post pandemic during the pandemic and post pandemic. We do a lot more remote interviews where we have a camera person come in because we never do Skype interviews. We never do Zoom interviews. Right. Uh, the only Zooming or Skyping is when I'll be face-to-face doing the questions, but we have a, you know, a cameraman with a 4K camera, a camera person to get the interview with them in person. It, it makes a huge difference when you can have the time and, and the focus of just one, one interview and one purpose. And then if they run long, you're not worried about, oh, hey, sorry, nope, can you stop? We got some bigger guy or. Yeah, it's true. And, and and also there are some people, you know, where they said, well, you know, you get there and you thought you were going to have an hour and they're like, well, I really only have about 20 minutes. But then once they get comfortable and realize that it's something that they like, they magically find more time. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I can, no, I can give you more time. We can do another 20 minutes and then you do 40 more minutes, you know? And so that to me is always just the badge of honor where they were a little trepidatious, but they gave us their time. But as soon as they find out that they're in, you know, in, in safe Harbor, then they'll give a great interview and they're happy to just keep talking. That's the fun of it for me. That That's what makes me really proud of the interviews that we get, you know, is when people actually are happy to be there. It probably makes it a lot easier just in general. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they're not happy, but you know, we, we, we've all seen those bad junket interviews where they're just impatient or even they, they're there or they're just there to, to promote their project, but it's the very end of the day. Uh, and they're just like, they're they're just asked the same question 40 times. And I'll, I'll, I'll share a story. The first ever junket I ever did was for Joe dirt. (laughs) <laughs> and David Spade. And um, I was at Entertainment Tonight and it was like a great opportunity for me because, there, you know, someone was unavailable and they're like, David, could you do this? I'm like, yeah, OK, let's do it. 
And I remember I got there and it was just the tail end of the day. And David Spade had been trapped in this hotel room, tiny hotel room, hot, you know, all day long. And I kid you not, by the time I got there, and he, he was very nice and he gave me you know, a good interview. But I, I kid you not, when I walked in to sit down, he was over in a corner. This sounds like an exaggeration, but he was comically banging his head against the wall repeatedly. <laughs> And I was just like, holy crap, this guy is like spent. He just does not want to be here. So, yeah, it's always interesting. So kind of building off that, that was there uh, anyone that you wanted to talk to for this series that you didn't get the chance to? Many, many, many. Some we danced around and we couldn't make it work. Others, we just uh, they weren't they weren't interested or they didn't respond. We definitely wanted to get Clive Barker. And uh, we'll, we'll probably try and get Clive Barker again for the 90s. There were times for like the first In Search of Darkness, you'll, you'll find there some of these people who pop up in part two and part three are people that just we couldn't get in part one, either just because we had to just draw the line or just they weren't available. I mean, I remember going back and forth with Tom Savini for part one who said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But he was never he could never he was always on project to project and thing to thing. And and every time we try and make it all work, it just didn't work. And then I remember for part two, he's like, how come I'm not in part one? <laughs> and I'm just like, we tried, you know, and same thing with Robert Englund. Robert Englund gave me uh, us a, a wonderful compliment. You know, he's like, I'm sorry. I wasn't in part one and, you know, I had different management and I, they probably just said no, you know, without me even knowing about it. But I, I, I really like, you know, your movie part one and I'm excited to be in part two. Let's do it. And, and that was just the, the ultimate validation. And he sat with me for three hours talking about horror and sci-fi. It was very cool. I got the impression you- watching him that he was there for quite a while. Like he looked very comfortable in that interview on part two for sure. You might find at one point he changes shirts as well. <laughs> I tried to keep it consistent. I'm like, wait, that first 25 minutes, you know, you had the, uh, you know, the lighter shirt on, but then he changed because it was a hot room. But anyway, yeah, he's a good guy. He he spins an, an incredible yarn and he takes his time getting to the point, but it's a great thing. I mean, it's just like he he loves to paint a picture. So it's, you know, he'll, you know, what's the question? What's your favorite color? And he'll say, well, I woke up this morning and I had my tea. It took a while to warm up because the fire wouldn't catch. But I was thinking to myself, huh, what color mug should I want? And he'd like go and talk for 20 minutes and then give you your answer. And and you're just, you know, you're like, let's read the phone book next. You know? <laughs> So the movies In Search of Darkness 1, 2, and 3 all cover, like you mentioned earlier, year to year to year. They cover movies within those years. But in between the the years, there are these interstitials Mm -hmm. that kind of talk about specific topics of the time frame. How did you come up with the different interstitial topics that you wanted to cover throughout the entire series? Well, when first of all, the idea, uh, Robin Block is the creator of, of In Search of Darkness, Okay. Uh, and he hired me on and and we worked together on the concept. Uh, he wanted to do it. You know, let's do the whole decade, movie after movie after movie. And I said, that's a great idea. But there's there's so many in terms of organization. We there's so many other topics to to, you know, special effects, scream queen queens or or final girls, if you want to call them that, which, you know, some people don't like either now. But, uh, you know, music and the soundtracks, fandom, you know, there are just so many things to cover. And I'm just only talking about part one. You know, we, we, right. we just kept on going down into more and more uh, eclectic things, video games, Italian horror, Japanese horror uh, or Asian horror, uh, all sorts of cool stuff. You know, uh, even even like gateway horror. That's one of my favorites in part three is uh, talking about horror that is it kind of lurks in other genres, but it's not considered horror. Yet you watch, you know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and, you know, it, it's almost like a, a slasher setup, but even more so like they get on, you know, all these kids are just taken out one by one. And then they get on, you know, the boat ride from hell on the Chocolate River. And it's like I even remember watching that as a kid saying, what the hell is going on? You know, so, yeah, you know, I just said, listen, there's there's so many things that I want to do. Break it up into chapters in between these year, I think, is a good sort of palate cleanser. And yeah. provides context. And so 
you could see the progression of how the films evolved or didn't over the course of a decade, but you could also now see how they were having an impact, what people were going for, you know, just find out more. And I, th- I think it, it, allow- it, it provides a lot more um, context to when you go down the list each, each year. You start thinking about all oh, those practical effects. You know, they, it wasn't until, you know, American Werewolf in London and The Howling that people said, I want that. Can I have that as well? And that would impact so many other films and just put Rick Baker and Rob Bottin in demand. And Tom Savini was going down his own path, but he was incredibly in demand as well. You know, uh, someone like uh, uh, Greg Nicotero or Mark Showstrom on Evil Dead movies and and Creepshow and so on, just either learning from masters or, you know, carving their own path, you know, Phantasm. I could just, it it ends up me just name dropping all these titles. But but ultimately, it's what's cool is it's it's more interesting to me to be able to cover all these different things and to and to if not very in depth, at least touch upon topics that are, are, are flashpoints for conversation that you could have further down the road once you turn off the movie and say, yeah, they talked about this. How do you feel about this? And, and to, to show opposing viewpoints and not insert my own as the director of this, it was very important to insert as very little of my own opinion as possible. And I wanted everyone to balance the conversation and, and talk about how they felt about things. And sometimes everyone was in chorus for or against something. But for the most part, it was interesting to see the uh, differing points of view. So I think we have two more questions that we really want to try to get to, Jen, then we'll we'll let you go. I'd be interested to know about how you feel about current horror movies. I know you got, and the second question will be about the nineties and, and that uh, series coming up, but uh-huh. there's been a lot of people say there's been a resurgence of horror since last year specifically, which I feel lukewarm about be interested to know how you feel about the current generation of horror and where horror is at as a uh, genre right now. I just saw the boogeyman today. You know, Stephen King's The Boogeyman. And prior to that, I think, uh, what did I see? Evil Dead Rise was the one I saw before in terms of just like in the theatrical stuff. Maybe there's something in between. Has there been something notable in between? I see a lot of movies. Redfield came out around. I saw Renfield and I loved it. I loved Renfield. Renfield to me Nick Cage and anything. Yeah. Renfield to me had, had, had very much uh, 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 Evil Dead 2 DNA in it in terms of the blood and the comedy. Uh, and I really loved that. I really connected with that. I, listen, the horror, horror, you know, I loved Barbarian. I loved Smile. Those are kind of the go-tos that a lot of people are saying and the A24 stuff. There's plenty out there. Horror you could do for a very low budget and get a handsome return on your investment more often than not. And and a lot of the streaming issues that we're experiencing now and, and streamers are sort of really trying to figure out their identity now that, you know, it was only, it's almost like the dot-com boom and bust. Everyone ran to make their own and then they realized, wait, how do you monetize this for the long haul? Yeah. And so a lot, it's interesting to see a lot of films that were only meant for streaming are now getting theatrical and they're horror oh, because Evil Dead Rise well. was one of those. Yeah, Evil Dead Rise. I think Boogeyman was one. Smile was one. And so, the state of the the of horror today, there's the more the merrier. It's always been around. I think it's just getting more respect now. Um, arguably, you know, we we the three of us are sitting in a vacuum. The people who are listening to your podcast about horror, we are in a bit of a vacuum because we all laud the horror genre and love it and support it and. You know, we don't love everything, but we still love horror and we still want to check it out. But there's still plenty of people who just say, you guys are twisted and what's your problem? What's your, your, what's your weird, you know, or you're worse. And so it's still out there. But, you know, the box office numbers, they just they can't lie. And so Hollywood will always a lot of let me put it this way. There's always the intermittent article saying horror was dead and now it's back. And it was never gone. But people are noticing when it does great box office. And it's always going to be that way. And so I'm just glad I'm just glad that we're getting more on streaming. And, you know, Stranger Things, you know, is something I love it. 
it's easy to take digs at it because it's really big. You know, if you guys love it through and through, great. But a lot of people say, oh, well, it's cliche and derivative. Listen, right. Barry, on season four, everyone wants to be like them. And if they if they can carve out a space and and say that this is acceptable and is going to do really well and it's merchandisable and everyone wants to make something like it or sell sell them sell a, a, a show like Wednesday or something like that, you know, just something that's like it. Not that that's like Stranger Things, but they, they look at it all in the same sentence. But ultimately, I just feel like there, there's so much out there and and you just need to go out and support this stuff continually because then you'll get more unique original ideas. And for every complaint people have about oh, a remake, a reboot, a sequel, those are required because when those do good, great business, then that opens up space for people to do one-offs and try new things. You know, Megan, that kind of stuff. You know, arguably, maybe, I don't know how original that idea is, but it's, it's, it's prime for the time. And it did really, really well on a low budget. And it makes complete sense. And of course, we get Megan 2 five minutes from now. It's already in the works, but I, I welcome it because then there's going to be more, you know, AI thrillers and, and people just see the success of the genre. And uh, I think the state of horror today could not be better. I never got people complaining about movies being remade and rebooted. It, I, I understand if you don't like any one particular title or, or something like that, that's fine. But the people who get so upset about it that they act like they're just going to turn their back on everything and burn the world down. It's like you do realize the original movie is still available for you to watch if you want to watch right? it. Right. It doesn't. That. Thank like, you very much. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. How dare yeah. you replace my, you've destroyed my childhood in the process. Yeah. yeah you know, I, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be, you're going to make new Indiana Jones. There's going to be a new escape from New York. You know, Kurt Russell would be like, listen, listen, I made it. You went to it. You enjoyed it. It's it's there for anyone who wants to see it. Uh, no one can take that away from us. And uh, whatever you do afterwards, it's only going to be in comparison to the original. And uh, even if it's arguably better for some people, it, it's introducing people to a franchise, you know, that they might not know about and they might want to seek out the original. So it's always good. You know, people, people, I know you guys know this, but a lot of people forget like in the eighties, you know, the thing is a remake and, and that's why a lot of people didn't just like about it. To say that. So yeah, you know, Cisco yeah. and Ebert, you know, they were a bit split on it, but they only compared it to the childhood film that they loved in the fifties. You know, the Howard Hawks produced one, you know, the blob remake was great. You know, the fly incredibly just brand new movie based on, a 50s, you know, B-movie premise, and and they're masterpieces, you know? Even a movie like, in my opinion, two of my all-time favorite movies is Friday the 13th and the original Dawn of the Dead, and I went into both those remakes mm -hmm. expecting not to like them and lo loving both of them, so it's not to say that it can't be done with a modern movie at the same time. And that's the that's what I always try and hold on to. You know, I, I, I am not above personally just saying, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, when sure. I hear about a remake, a reboot or anything like that. But I I will not be vocal about it because that's my personal code. And and I reserve judgment until I see it because that's what people said about these movies that we're, we're raving about. You know, Tom Savini redid Night of the Living Dead and it's a great movie. It's really, really good. Supremely I underrated like, movie. I yeah. like it more than than the original. You know, don't shoot me for that. But uh, but I but there's space for both. And I do love the original as well, but which do I, if I have the two of them sitting there and I'm just sitting there on Friday night, I'm more likely to go to the Tom Savini version. In fact, that that's something I always return to kind of as a, like a, you know, late September, early October, get in the Halloween spirit mood. You know, that's my ritual. And I, I, I return to it practically annually. I think we all have one or two of those, so probably that have come up in the course of this conversation. The other thing we wanted to touch on is we know we have, is it called in search of the darkness in search of darkness for the nineties as well? Or is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, just call it in search of darkness nineties for now, okay. but, and it'll be called that it'll be called in search of darkness, but it's, it's it, we're, what we're doing is uh, I'll just jump on. You can feel free to ask any questions, but I'll just speak in that uh, it's going to be 1990 to 1994 for part one. And then 95 to 99 for part two. I think it's going to make it a little more digestible for us who make these massive long form films. It takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort. This makes it a little more manageable because we'll still be doing, we'll still be doing a long form film, 
but we'll be able to include more. So it's going to be crowdfunding this October. And crowdfunding is equivalent to to a pre-order for us, pretty much. But I'm excited to dive into it once again, like we've done in the last couple In Search of Darknesses, is we want to invite you guys and everybody to participate in helping to shape this movie to be what you want, you know, very much by the fans for the fans. So you guys, you know, we're going to have you guys suggest movies. We will have you guys vote on the top films that you guys have suggested. Uh, you guys can suggest chapters and, and people that you want to see in the movie because uh, we ultimately we're fans as well. And we want to make the best movie that we can for ourselves. But we we absolutely thrive on the feedback that we get for hearing what you guys want in a movie like this. You know, you guys are all passionate and have all thoughts about this. So, you know, in in the coming weeks, keep an eye out on our socials. At currently, everything's at 80s Horror Doc. So on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, eventually, perhaps uh, go to 80s Horror Doc. But it'll be 90shorrordoc.com when we do the crowdfunding and you know, keep keep uh, tabs on on our communication with with you guys and the backers to start sharing. We're already doing it now. You know, just start sharing your opinions. I, I think one of our questions this week, Carla uh, Carla Hampton does uh, our our socials and she does such a great job. And uh, she always comes up with really great questions to sort of bring out some good conversation. And a big thing about the '90s movies was, you know, horror was sort of like a it was sort of a, a, a not it, it, people didn't like to call the uh, horror horror did not uh, resonate well uh, as a genre after the 80s and the explosion of that so everyone was calling things psychological thrillers if they wanted to mm. have a higher box office you know stigma was the word i was my brain escaped me and horror the word horror kind of had a stigma so they'd call it a psychological thriller but what is silence of the lambs truly really it's a horror film right you know but uh, even something like Basic Instinct, you know, an erotic thriller, you know, but it's about a serial killer mystery, right? So, uh, you know, whether it was a, a, a massive box office hit like those two films or a full moon entertainment straight to video, Roger Corman kind of stuff. I want to know what you guys like and love and want to see. And, you know, what the best problem that we always have is there's never enough room. So I need to know what, what's going to make the cut the first time around. Awesome. That's great. So yeah, look forward to it. Excellent. Do you got anything you want to add on before we start wrapping on this? No, I just wanted to tell David, I, this has been a really great talk. The three movies are, I, I, I love them. I mean, I love being able to watch something, have people talk about movies that number one that I love, and then some movies that I've never heard of. So it opens the door. Like we were talking earlier, you know, you're writing names down or you're searching online. Where can I watch this? You know, there's all these movies and so little time. So I really enjoyed the. Thanks. The whole you should. I, I don't know if you guys have, have done it. If you go to uh, 80s horror you scroll down and there's a tab. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm going to forget what the tab is called now. Chart, maybe. But we have a thing called the the ISOD movie challenge where we have a PDF of every single movie that we cover, just the main movies each year in part one, part two and part three. And it's a downloadable PDF. Oh, and you could use it as your little handy, A, your little handy checklist to see how many you've, you've seen and how many you still need to see. Or just to be like, what were, you know, what did they cover? Which year? What was that one? Or gosh, you know, what else can I, can I pursue this time around? It's like your own little AFI list that you can yeah, check off. Exactly. <laughs> well, David, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. You've been awesome. I also absolutely love this documentary series. Can't wait to see In Search of Tomorrow and the 90s stock. And I want to give you the chance if there's anything you want to plug or if you want to have send our listeners towards, um, feel free to drop whatever plugs you want to drop at this at this point. Sure. Well, hey, first off, I appreciate your appreciation. I really do. You know, um, it it really means a lot to me that these movies are are just resonating with guys like you and just people who love this stuff. You know, these movies ultimately are really about not necessarily the movie itself, but where you were, who you were with, what you were doing when you saw it. You know, did you sneak it, you know, in the middle of the night on cable? Did your friend have a bootleg tape that when your parents were out at dinner, you like, you got to come over, let's watch Faces of Death, you know? They, 
it, it doesn't matter what these how good these movies are. It's really about the the memories that it brings back for you, and just to be able to sort of cover so many of these films and to bring back just happy memories or even difficult memories, but that you've you've grown and, and struggled and evolved from. It's important stuff, and um, you know what I'm doing. Do I think it's self-important? Absolutely not. But I, I, I recognize that this stuff has kind of gotten bigger than what we started with, and it really resonates for the reasons why I just mentioned. And so, I'm real happy that you guys are helping to spread the word. You know, and just the, the stuff that you cover in your podcast. You know, you guys are really passionate about genre film and horror film and just fun going to the movies. Like you're. You're you're spending time out of your out of your week to to sit and shoot the shit about the stuff that you're passionate about. Yeah. And uh, if anything, you guys are helping to curate for other people who need to either learn about stuff or make decisions. And, you know, your your work, whether or not you think it's important or not, believe it or not, it is, you know, so that's good stuff. But, uh, yeah, all I need to plug is, you know, in search of darkness, 90s, just uh, check our socials at 80s horror doc on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, you know, come this October, that's when we're going to be really ramping up for In Search of Darkness 90s to get it going. And uh, my personal Twitter is uh, Tiki Ambassador. And I also have my own site. It came from blog.com. So you can get that on Twitter as well. So at it came from blog on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, too many social media things. <laughs> But, uh, but it, it, you know, that the, the it came from blog stuff is uh, a lot of my interviews that I've done when I was at Entertainment Tonight or Hollywood Reporter or just new stuff that I'm doing, you know, books that I'm reading and authors that I'm talking to or what whatnot. But if anything, that stuff is just sort of my steady brain dump of pop culture randomness and eclectic weirdness that makes me happy. And then when people say, oh, my God, I haven't thought of that in 30 years, makes me happy that that people respond to it. I feel like that's half of what our show is, even though the last <laughs> month or so has been things that are suggested to us for, we think, torturous reasons. So <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes yeah. Yeah. we've been taking a lot of listener requests and they they seem to uh, not like us. <laughs> well, just, that, that can't be true. You know, people people love an opportunity to complain when things aren't exactly the way they want it. But fundamentally, <laughs> you you're this is your show. So you lead the charge and the people who want to follow will follow and, and support you. The people who want to complain will complain, <laughs> the rest can, the rest can tune out, you know, but uh, yeah, don't let that stuff throw you because there's always going to be people who uh, like to complain just to throw people and make themselves feel better. So don't, don't let that uh, throw your day. We love it. We, we find ways. We yeah, find ways to have fun with it. So we're a little good, nice good. ourselves, I think. Yeah. So it all works. Well, there out. you go. You gotta, you gotta have a, th- a thick skin in this uh, in this internet wasteland that we live in. Right. All right. So we want to thank David for hanging out with us and having this chat. Um, it was an absolute honor for us. And John, I just wanted to mention, if you're looking to watch the In Search of Darkness documentary series, you can stream it on AMC Plus, DirecTV, and Shudder. We'd probably recommend you watching it on Shudder because there's a ton of other great horror movies you can check out while you're there. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime... We ask, as always, that you follow us on our socials. We are at Dewey Podmaster on pretty much everywhere you can find us. Of course, we want to reiterate and ask that you follow David at 80s Horror Doc and make sure to keep up on when anything they have coming up. Always worth checking out. And then, Sean, where can people find you? Yeah, if you're interested in Michigan Craft Beer, you can find me talking about Michigan Craft Beer at youtube.drafttherapy.com. You can also find me on all the social media networks at Draft Therapy. All right, until next week, have a great weekend. Cheers.